Welcome each one to our service here this morning, trusting the Lord's blessing and will be upon us as we gather together to worship Him in spirit and in truth. We're going to commence our worship by turning in our hymnals to the Psalm 1, and the first Psalm, Psalm 1, and that section of Psalms found at the back of the hymnal. That man hath perfect blessedness, who walketh not astray in counsel of ungodly men, nor stands in sinner's way. The Psalm 1, and we'll stand as we worship the Lord, please. may be seated. We're turning in the Word of God this morning to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5. And we'll read the first uh, 12 verses together as we come and meet with the Lord, as we come to pray. And we'll read verses 1 uh, to 12. The Word of God says, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, the first verse, 
And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain. And when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. And blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Amen. And may the Lord bless the reading of his precious word to our hearts this morning. Let us unite together in prayer. Let us seek the Lord as we come and as we worship him this morning. Let us pray. Our eternal God and our Father in heaven, we give thee thanks today that we can enter into thy presence. And we thank thee that we can sing from the first psalm that reminds us that blessed or happy is the man that walks in thy ways. And we pray today, O God, that each one of us here each believer, each one who knows and loves thee, uh, would desire to walk in thy ways, to walk in thy truth, to be like that tree that is planted by the rivers of water and uh, that will bring forth and bear its fruit in due season. Father, we beseech thee today that thou would make us a fruitful people, a fruitful church, fruitful individuals, fruitful believers for thee, and that as we live and as we serve thee, and that we would know a great fruit within our lives, the fruit of the Spirit, and the fruit, Father, that is of grace and thy working and thy power within us. Father, we do rejoice we can come together with believers, with thy church to worship thee, and we thank thee for every one gathered in this morning. We do remember those watching online as well. Remember those of our number who aren't here today. Father, meet our needs, we pray. And may, as we turn to thy word, may our focus and our attention be upon our Savior and upon his encouragement and upon his comfort for our souls. And Father, we look to thee that thou would bless us. And we do remember those, Father, who need thy help uh, we do remember <coughs> our brother Vern, uh, remember Father, uh, the family circle there also. Uh, we pray that would meet each need. Uh, we do remember our sister Debbie and Clayton Snow. And Father, remember Sonia today and others who need thy help and, and need thy presence and thy touch upon them. Our Father, we uh, do uh, remember the Gallagher family also. Remember especially Calvin and his wife and family. And we pray, Father, for thy help and strength. We pray for the touch of the great physician as well. 
at thy name and may be glorified. Our Father, we remember also the families of our congregation. Remember the boys and girls and young people. And Father, we pray for thy guidance and thy help and thy comfort in all of these things. And we pray that each family here would uh, be one that glorifies thee, uh, that seeks to live for thee. And we pray, Father, especially for household salvation, that each one, each family would know uh, that unity in Christ their Savior. We remember, Father, the various endeavors of this congregation. Think of the Sunday school, the radio ministry. And we pray, Father, thou would bless thy word as it goes forth to the glory of thy name. And may uh, there be a rich harvest of souls coming and trusting in the Savior. Father, we uh, pray that you would give us help and strength to continue to stand for thee in these days. Uh, we think of what we considered this morning at the adult Sunday school and how the early church was persecuted uh, for their faith and how that persecution did not stop at the apostles or did not stop at the pastors or the elders. Uh, but this persecution uh, tore through the entire church. And uh, no man, no boy, no girl uh, was spurred as we considered examples this morning. Uh, but we rejoice in the faith that they had and the simple belief in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. And Father, today we pray that would encourage our faith, that that would lift us up, and that we would learn from uh, these individuals who stood for thee to not be ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to every one that believeth. Father, build our faith today, edify us. May our faith be strengthened that we would be able to stand for thee and whatever this world has for us in thy will, that we would stand strong for our faith and for our Savior. Father, we remember those outside of Christ. We Pray that I would speak to their hearts. May they be drawn to faith and trust and to repentance uh, as they look to a Savior who accomplished the great work of salvation upon Calvary. Father, may we continue to preach that message. May we never be ashamed of it that Christ Jesus died for sinners. Father, meet with us today. Bless us. Bless our denomination, we pray, our sister congregations, and not only here in B.C., but further afield. We pray, Father, that thou would bless our missionaries as well. Uh, bless and keep them as they labor for thee. And may we enjoy a blessed Sabbath around thy word and in worship of thy name. And we pray for Christ's sake. Amen. Amen going to uh, turn again in our hymnals to hymn 660. Uh, 660, what a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. 660, we'll stand again as we sing, please. and griefs to bear. 
much to carry everything to God in prayer. seated. At this point in our service, can we extend a word of welcome to each one, to those visiting with us. We especially welcome you and those visiting online. Uh, we trust all uh, will know and enjoy the presence of the Lord as we worship him uh, today. Do you remember the uh, prayer meeting at 5.30 tonight downstairs, then the evening service at 6 p.m.? And then on Wednesday, we have our Bible study and prayer meeting uh, downstairs in the prayer room and on Zoom as well. So do remember that and do plan to join in uh, with us. Uh, next uh, Lord's Day is the uh, last uh, Sunday of the month and at our evening service we'll be having that time of fellowship afterwards and so do bring something along uh, to share and do endeavor to come and have a time of food and a time of friendship and fellowship with us after that service. Uh, the uh, women's breakfast will take place again Saturday the 2nd of December at 9 a.m. The next men's prayer meeting will be the same day at 7.30 p.m. And then on Saturday the 9th of December at 12 p.m. we have our 55-plus Christmas lunch at Newlands Golf and Country Club. And we're asking uh, those who are able to come, uh, who are 55 plus, to put your name on the list. And there's a list in the hall. And so if you put your name on that list, we will know the exact numbers for the booking. 
It may be that we need to uh, decrease it slightly, but hopefully increase the booking, and uh, we will need to do that uh, in advance of uh, Saturday the 9th. And so if you're interested in coming, uh, do put your name on that list, and uh, we uh, look forward to having you. It's not just for the members of the congregation, it's for us all who, who come here, and we trust that you'll put your name down, and you'll come and enjoy that time uh, with us as well. Friday the 15th of December at 7pm we have our uh, Christmas social uh, where we gather together. There'll be uh, those who'll take part and there'll be food as well. Uh, so do remember that. There'll be more details and organising of that at a later date. And then the Trinitarian Bible Society, their calendars for uh, 2024 have arrived. They're on the table and so if you want some, you want some to share, do take them and uh, do uh, spread them about as well. The magazines also came this week, uh, the newest edition of the magazine, it's on the table as well. And then the uh, TBS, the Trinitarian Bible Society, have their annual general meeting Friday the 1st of December at 7.30 at the Reformed Congregations of North America uh, Church in Chilliwack, and the speaker will be the outgoing secretary of TBS Canada. Uh, so do remember that. They do a good work. Uh, they stand for uh, good translations, the authorized version of the Bible uh, being the one that they produce in the English language. Uh, but then they also translate the scriptures into other languages and spread uh, that uh, around uh, in regard, uh, spread the gospel in many countries. And they do a good work for the cause of Christ and ongoing translation work as well. Uh, so do remember that. And do remember those magazines, calendars, the annual general meeting that all are invited to as well. These are all the announcements and they're subject uh, to the will of God. And we're going to turn in our hymnals, the hymn 659. 659, uh, what various hindrances we meet in coming to the mercy seat. Uh, before we sing, can I thank uh, the men and the ladies who came yesterday and helped uh, with various aspects of a work party. Uh, there were leaves that were cleared, gutters that were cleaned, and there was work done inside as well. I wasn't feeling the best. I think I have an ear infection in the last few days, and uh, I, I was in the library sorting out through books there, and so the men did far more physical labor than I was able to do, and the ladies as well. So we do thank them uh, for their work and their labors around the church property uh, yesterday. The hymn 659, and um, we'll remain seated while their tithes are received, please.
prayer. Our Heavenly God and Father, we thank Thee, Lord, that we can gather together in this building. We thank Thee for putting it in our hearts to come and to worship. We thank Thee, Lord, for Your gifts to us. Take our tithes and our offerings. Use them for the furtherance of the gospel that it may go forth. Bless it as it goes over the airwaves, through the internet, and also in this house. Touch each heart this morning. We ask that you would speak to us and that we would hear. Bless our pastor as he brings the message. We ask that you'd encourage him too, that you would give him your Holy Spirit, that he may preach the word. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll stand to sing. We'll sing uh, the final verse. I think we may be struggling a little with that hymn. Uh, but we'll sing the final verse where half the breath thus vainly spent. Verse 6, uh, standing to sing, please. seated. Going to turn in the Word of God this morning to Revelation uh, chapter 2. Uh, Revelation uh, chapter 2. And the singing of that last verse was good. And I may be thinking I sh we should have sang the rest of that uh, hymn as well, uh, but we'll just uh, sing that uh, final verse. And uh, certainly uh, we do meet hindrances at the mercy seat, but may the Lord be pleased to help us by his grace to conquer those hindrances and to continually uh, seek him in prayer. Revelation chapter 2, and we're going uh, to read from the start of the chapter. The Apostle John has received letters uh, to the seven churches, and these are contained, well, the opening remarks are contained in Revelation 1, and then Revelation chapter 2 and 3 uh, contain the letters to these churches. And so we'll read from verse 1 of chapter 2. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne, and hast patience, and for my name's sake has labored and hast not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. But this thou hast, 
that thou hearest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. And unto the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. I know thy works and tribulations and poverty, but thou art rich. And I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulations ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. Amen. And may the Lord bless the reading of his precious and infallible truth this morning. Let us unite together in prayer. Let us seek the Lord as we turn to his word today. Our Father and our God, we do give thee thanks that we can look unto thee. And we thank thee for thy grace and thy goodness to us. We thank thee that we can lift our voices unto thee, not only in prayer, but in praise as well. And we thank thee that we can pray and we can bring our petitions and supplications and our great needs to thee. And Father, we have a great need today, the great need of the preaching of thy word, a great need to present thy word, a great need to preach. And we pray thou would give that help and that grace we ask. And Father, there is a great need to listen, great need to hearken, great need to obey thy word. And we pray that thy spirit would apply thy truth to our hearts. May our souls be encouraged here. Encouraged to stand for Christ. Encouraged to pray for one another. Encouraged to not be ashamed of the glorious gospel of our Savior. And Father, may those outside of Christ be compelled to leave behind that life of sin and that life of rebellion to Thee and to live for the Savior. And Father, come and meet with us, we pray. Come and bless us through the power of Thy Word. And thy presence, we pray, for Christ's sake. Amen. It was said by Tertullian that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. In the adult Sunday school, we have been considering the persecutions that were faced by the early church. And not only referring to the New Testament period in the book of Acts and elsewhere, but also several hundred years after that. This morning we mentioned a man, a minister called Polycarp, who loved the Lord, who went to his death because of his love and his faith in Christ. And he declared that 86 years he had served his Savior. And in those 86 years, Christ had done him no wrong. And we are reminded in the Word of God, what we have read today in Matthew's Gospel and in other places as well, that the church of Christ will suffer persecution. 
Blessed are ye, the Savior said, when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. And the church of Christ throughout the ages has faced much persecution. As men and women, and as we saw today, boys and girls stood for their faith and stood unashamedly for their love of the Savior. And you may think today, well, persecution really isn't a thing. Those doors have stayed shut since the close of the service. No authorities have shown up. No persecutors have come in to round us up and to take us away or to take the pastor out onto the street and stone him. We're here in peace. There is no persecution. Today we're past that. But I was looking earlier at a number of interesting statistics uh, that I found on the internet. I almost looked in disbelief and I wondered how accurate is that? Uh, there must have been a miscalculation somewhere. Uh, but these statistics are from uh, a ministry that uh, look into those who are persecuted for uh, the Christian faith. I don't know how they define the name Christian uh, because we can uh, put in there Orthodox and the Catholic Church and uh, Protestants. And so the name Christian can be a very broad term today. Uh, we would clarify that and define it by being one who believes the Bible, believes the Word of God, and believes in uh, Christ alone as their Savior, as we see from the truths of the Protestant Reformation. Uh, but the term Christian in society is quite a broad term. And so last year they said that around 360 million Christians experienced high levels of persecution and also discrimination. And not just persecution, but discrimination as well. Uh, they said this was 20 million higher than in 2021. Staggering figures. Staggering figures. It is also estimated that the number of Christians killed in 2022 for their faith was 5,898. Persecution may not be here, but persecution is still very much alive in places in this world. And as the church of Christ, let us remember that, that while we have relative peace to meet together, yes, we may face some discrimination. Yes, we may face the abuse of others and the mockery of others. But yet we have relative peace to gather together. There are those who do not. And there are those who lose their lives because of their faith. And we see that in the New Testament and we saw that this morning, the second message regarding the persecutions that the early church faced around 100 AD, thereabouts, give or take, either side of that year. And when we come to Revelation chapter 2, we have, again, persecution in view. We have the church of Smyrna. It's located on the coast of the Aegean Sea, modern-day Turkey. It was a prominent city in the ancient world. It was around 40 miles north of Ephesus. It was a, one of the principal cities of Roman Asia and often uh, vied with other cities there for the great title of being the first or the capital or the most important city in Asia Minor. Minor. It was a city that 
was splendid, a city uh, that uh, had a great view sloping up from the sea. It is said about the crown of Smyrna being those buildings uh, that uh, formed this crown of Smyrna, this very public profile that they had. It is reported to have been the birthplace of Homer who wrote that famous work, The Odyssey. But it was a city that had unquestionable strong ties to the Roman Empire. This city had great allegiance to the empire. It was a thriving city for the worship of the emperor. And with most cities in the New Testament period, it was a seat of pagan worship. Temples to Roman gods had been constructed there. And we need to remember that. Whenever the Apostle Paul went into these cities to preach the gospel on his missionary trips, he was not just coming to Jews because these were not Jewish cities. There may have been some Jews who had moved into that city, but the city itself was filled with other religion, pagan religion and heathenism. And he battled with those things. This city of Smyrna was refined in culture. It was pagan in its philosophy. And it was said that no religion that challenged that culture was popular in Smyrna. But we find here in Revelation 2 that there was a Christian church. A Christian church. We don't know how it was formed. We don't know who went there to preach the gospel. But we know this in Acts 19, that this continued by the space of two years, so that all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. And that is speaking about the witness in Ephesus, 40 miles away. And there's an implication that other churches and other believers came to Christ and churches were founded because of the witness found in the city of Ephesus. And so that city reached out with the gospel to other places. Smyrna was not an easy place to be a Christian due to the persecution of believers. And we've mentioned Polycarp, who was the pastor there, who was faithful unto death as a martyr. But John writes this letter, and of course it is the Savior giving him direction unto the angel or the bishop of the church of Smyrna, write. And it says, these things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. And this is a letter, not merely of John, this is a letter of Christ to his church. And dear believer, today when we think of what the Savior is saying here, these things saith the first and the last which was dead and is alive. Christ is writing to his church. He's setting out who he is. He's reminding that congregation that I am the Christ. I'm the one who was power. I was dead, but I am alive. And when Christ speaks to us, what should we do? We should listen. We should listen. Christ may encourage us. Christ may thrill our hearts. He may bring comfort and grace to us. He may rebuke us. He is our master. He is our king. And we must listen. We must listen. And this was a letter of commendation. We read earlier of the church at Ephesus. They did all the right things, but they left their first love. That was a letter that had a criticism. And that church was criticized because while they did the right things, they had lost that love for the Savior. But the church here at Smyrna, they were commended. Commended for what they had done. Commended for their stand. Commended for their works and what they were suffering. It was a letter of comfort. 
This church, in all of its struggles, needed a word of consolation or encouragement. It was a letter of challenge. They were challenged to continue for the cause of Christ. And so as we come to this letter this morning, and I find it fitting that in the adult Bible class we're considering persecution as well. Um, we're coming to consider what the Savior says regarding this church. Uh, when uh, we think of the adult Bible class, we're going through church history. Uh, those notes are available. I think there's some from last week, some from this week on the table. And so uh, if uh, you have missed those, the recordings are online. There are notes available. And if you want any previous week, just uh, feel free to speak to me and we can supply those uh, to you. Uh, but less of the advertising for the adult Bible class and the adult Sunday school and those notes will come to what we want to consider today that is connected to what we said this morning. We find a church that is persecuted. We find here that the Lord can ordain times of suffering for his church and his people. But yet we have a glorious Savior who is with us. And this church reminds us of persecution and that it can happen to us today but it refreshes us with the truth that through it all, Christ is the great source of help and comfort for his people. And so I want us to consider very simply, Smyrna, persecuted but blessed. Persecuted but blessed. And firstly, I want you to see that the church will face trials and afflictions. The church will face trials and afflictions. The name of this city is very interesting, the name Smyrna. It is more than just a name to designate this church and this city from other cities and other churches, but it gives us a description of what this church is like and of the very conditions in which it existed. And the name of the city in the original Greek is used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint to translate the Hebrew word for myrrh, which was one of the city's exports. And so the Septuagint uh, was a Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible that the Jews used. And so the Hebrew Bible was taken, it was translated into the Greek language, and the Greek word that they used for, smyr, or for myrrh was smyrna. And of course, our English Bible is translated from uh, the Greek New Testament. It was written in Greek. Uh, but the Septuagint was the Greek translation of the old. And this item, myrrh, was one of the exports. It was brought to the Savior by the wise men. And when the bark of the myrrh tree was crushed, it created a sweet-smelling aroma. And we can think of the believers in that city. As they were crushed, as they faced persecution, as they were crushed by the world and the devil and those who were against the church, there was that sweet aroma going up of their testimony for the Lord Jesus Christ. The word means bitterness. And the life of a Christian in Smyrna was that of bitter affliction. But to get that sweet-smelling fragrance, myrrh had to be crushed. And it was as if there was a sweet-smelling perfume rising into heaven by the crushing of this church because of its trials and its struggles. James Ramsey, who was a commentator and a contemporary of the theologian Charles Hodge, said that of all these seven churches, no one stands higher in the estimation of her Lord than this. 
Yet in outward estate, she is the worst of them all. She is the worst of them all. We can look at the outward estate of churches and think it looks terrible. I've been in gatherings, church gatherings, where only one person has shown up. Not, not here, but in other places. The work was so small that when I went to do a meeting, there was one person. One person. My brother has went to meetings where, there were, where nobody showed up. I don't think that's because of him, uh, but that was the circumstances. Lots of people were away, and when it came time for the prayer meeting, it was just him praying. I don't know if he preached to himself, but he prayed. I've been there, and there's just one person. But yet, there's a blessed time. It may look bad on the outside, but there can still be a blessed time. We can think of buildings and churches that meet in very simple buildings. I've been in churches where the building is old and many would be turned off from coming to worship because of the state of the building. But yet inside the building, there was the presence of the Lord. There was blessing. There was blessing. It may look rough on the outside. It may look as if it's in decline on the outside. Why would you go to such a place? Some of our early forefathers in the Free Presbyterian Church in Northern Ireland, they met in tents. And those tents were leaking water as you worshipped. There was water coming into the tent or barns that were cleaned out and used for the preaching of the Word of God. Cold barns. But yet the blessing of God was there. And we ought, not to, we ought not to judge spiritual matters by physical circumstances. Here in Smyrna, the church was persecuted. That does not mean that the church was wrong, that the church was wicked, that the church was evil, that the church should be avoided by us. Because when we look at their circumstances, it was a church that stood for Christ. There was this sweet smell, this sweet aroma. In outward estate, she is the worst of them all, but she stands high in the estimation of Christ because she stood for him and for his truth. And here we find that God approved suffering for his name. They did not do anything that the Savior rebukes. This does not imply it was a perfect church, for there is no perfect church. But it implies to us that this church did not sin in such a way that grieved the Lord. But he was encouraged as he looked upon the state of this church and these individuals who stood for him. The Savior speaks in verse 9 of the tribulation suffered by this church. I know thy works in tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. And I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Tribulation. That word in the original Greek, it refers to pressure. We can think of an object being crushed by uh, someone's hand. I have a bit of a fascination uh, when I go on social media. Uh, there are videos of a hydraulic press. And often uh, I'll be sitting there and my wife is beside me. And there'll be this familiar noise of this press coming down. And I've seen a video as I've scrolled. And somebody is using this press to crush something. And I find that fascinating uh, to see candy being crushed and to see uh, bowling balls being crushed and all sorts of things. 
I'm not going around crushing things myself, but I find it interesting to see what happens when all this pressure is applied. And we can think then of that word tribulation. It's pressure. Something is being crushed. And this church was facing pressure. There was this crushing pressure upon it by the world. And there's a video as well on YouTube of a watermelon. And that watermelon has elastic bands around it. And they place one elastic band after the other. And eventually in slow motion you see the force and the pressure of those elastic bands. And the watermelon explodes. You'd think one elastic band wouldn't make it explode. But once you add a lot of bands there is so much pressure that the watermelon Exploded, And you can see that in slow motion. Again, pressure being applied. And it was like this with the church. And this is the aim of Satan and the aim of the devil. Seeking to place pressure upon the church. So that the church is destroyed. That the church will end. That it will not last. And that is what is happening here in Smyrna. It was a church under attack. It was persecuted from without. And we have the word tribulation here again pressure pressure life was not easy for these believers there was opposition there was severe persecution you can think of a mill and a millstone and the windmill being used to turn that stone to grind the corn or weed into flour and again pressure being applied to this church. They suffered. We have there that word poverty. It means to possess absolutely nothing. They had nothing. Nothing in this world. They had a life they clung on to. There was destitution here. Perhaps this poverty led them to having no home or food or struggling. Struggling. But yet they continued serving the Savior. Serving the Savior. We know very little about what they suffered. We know very little, as we said this morning in the adult Sunday school, about true persecution. We have life quite comfortable compared to the church at Smyrna, compared to Polycarp and others, compared to many throughout the world today who are suffering for the Savior. We have it easy, but yet one of the sad things we see is a reluctance to serve Christ, a reluctance to serve the church of Christ, a reluctance to put all on the altar and to live for the Savior. There's a need, and a need in our denomination, and a need across the world for preachers of the gospel, men who know the word, men who are faithful, men who know the truth. Let us pray to that end that God will raise up laborers. We have it easy compared to this church, yet they stood firm. But yet we see a reluctance today to serve the Lord, a reluctance today to put all on the altar for him. Here was a church, it cost them everything to serve the Savior. Uh, we see here in verse 9, I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. And that word blasphemy here, it means to slander. Malicious things were 
being said. Uh, we mentioned last week in the adult Sunday school about uh, Christians being accused of being cannibals uh, because of the world's idea of what the Lord's table was all about. Eating my body and drinking my blood. And it was twisted and corrupted in its perception by the world. And here it believes the Jews were behind a lot of this. I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. And here Satan is mentioned as being the one who is really behind this. And Satan is the one who's behind his church. And dear believer, Satan is the one who's against the church of Christ. We need to remember that. We need to always have in our mind that Satan is not the friend of Christ. He is the foe. And the world is against Christ because the world is that world that Satan has his influence in. Therefore, we must be aware of placing Satan and his world and all that Satan stands for in front of our Savior as if these things are more precious to us than Christ. He's the one who's against us. He's the one who's against our Savior. He's the one who's the great cause of hatred and discrimination and persecution against his church. Notice here as well in verse number 10, Fear none of these, those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. But be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. What is Christ saying here? He's saying about the future. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Things are going to happen. It's going to be persecution. There's going to be hardship in the future. He, Christ is warning them. These things are coming upon you. There's persecution by Roman emperors. There's persecution coming upon them. They will suffer for the cause of Christ. And it says, you shall have tribulation ten days. Many have debated what that means, what these ten days mean. Is it ten days of persecution? They experienced more than ten days of persecution in Smyrna. Do the ten days mean ten years? Do they mean ten periods of time? What do they mean? I think the easiest explanation for this is to understand that there is something symbolic here. This persecution no matter how long it will be, is limited. Christ puts a limit upon it. Ten days. Symbolic of the fact that this persecution will not last forever. It will come to an end. Satan is only allowed to attack the church only so far or for so, as long as God permits it to take place. And that is true of our own trials and tribulations and sorrows as well. They may go on for years, but yet there's a limit placed upon them. They're relatively short compared to time and eternity. Paul speaks about our light affliction, which is but for a moment. 
worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. And dear believer, we can be encouraged today through what the Savior said to this church. Our trials are but for a short period of time. One day they will end. One day we will be in that place where there is no more trial. No more trial. In verse 9, and we see this worked out in verse 10 as well. The Savior says, I know thy works in tribulation and poverty. I know the blasphemy of them. I know. Is that not encouraging again for us? I know, the Savior says. I know this has happened. I know that this will happen. Christ is in control. He is sovereign. By nature we are not fond of sovereignty. It was said of Christ, we will not have this man to rule over us. But the sovereignty of God is a great thing. It gives hope to those who are lost in their sins. Because God does for us what we could never do for ourselves. It reminds the church of Christ that though they suffer, though they are crushed, though the pressure is beating down upon them, God is still in control. And God's hand is still upon his people. And those who are persecuting are not outside the control of God. The church will face persecution. It may be that we, as the Lord's people, face discrimination and face persecution. But let us not deny our Savior. Let us remain firm. Why? Because we see, secondly, the church has a divine treasure. The church has a divine treasure. Here there was suffering because of poverty. I know thy works and tribulations and poverty. But notice what is said after that. But thou art rich. Despite the poverty, Christ says to this church, Thou art rich. Thou art rich. How can the Lord say that? How can the Lord say that? Thou, this church had poverty, but yet this church was rich. If we look at the church to Laodicea, Revelation 3, verse 17, because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. What is the Savior saying to this church? This church says, I'm rich. Christ says, you've got nothing. Nothing. He says to this church in Smyrna, you have poverty. You have nothing. But you're rich. You have everything. And what is meant here? This is not a carnal richness that the Savior is talking about. It's not a temporal richness. This church is in poverty because they had nothing physically. But spiritually speaking, they were rich because they had everything. And there is this encouragement again for us that in life we may have very little of this world's possessions. We may end up with nothing. Those who are persecuted for the church of Christ have very little or nothing of this world's goods. 
but yet they are rich. They have everything. Why? It is a spiritual treasure. It is a divine treasure. They have the blessing of God. They have the Lord's favor upon them. They have the Savior, the one who died and shed his precious blood. This world could be classed, or this church could be classed as rich because of he who is eternal and unchangeable. He who is victorious. He who is all-knowing. He who is sovereign and in control. He who is the lovely man of Calvary who gave himself for his people. And therefore this church had a better set of values. This church had values and principles and beliefs that were founded upon the Savior because they had this divine treasure. They contemplated heaven. Their affections were set upon him. Paul said to the church at Colossae, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, which Christ, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections, he says, on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. How we can be fixated on things to do with earth. Many things on earth that God has blessed us with. Many things on earth that we can find enjoyable. We have our hobbies. And we have our pastimes. We might have uh, that sport that we like. We might have that type of car that uh, we like to invest in or we uh, like to do some work to and drive. We do have our hobbies and we do have our pastimes. But above all those, there should be something that our affections are truly set upon. We could set all these things aside in a moment for the Savior. Set your affection, Paul says, on things above, not on things on the earth. On our pastimes and our hobbies. Should they not come after the Savior? They should not take his place. They should not distract us from our God and from our master. We can enjoy fishing. We can enjoy hiking. We can enjoy sport. We can enjoy these pastimes, but let us put Christ first. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, the Savior said. Are you seeking first the kingdom of God? Are you seeking... His kingdom first. God may have blessed in many ways. But are these things secondary to your relationship with God? Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Or if you have never trusted Christ, if you're still in your sins, will you seek first the kingdom of God? Not put those things in life before the Savior. Seek him first. Put him first. Trust him. Believe in him. Confess your sin. Seek his kingdom and his salvation and his gospel above everything else in contemplating heaven they considered Christ and were committed to living for Christ and not for the world what a contrast that is to much of Christianity poverty was fine for them because they were rich with Christ there was a calculation for heaven Matthew 6, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust 
where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. They had a right set of principles. They calculated rightly for heaven. They did not lay up treasure upon earth and ignore the treasure, the great spiritual treasure. And the question that comes then is, where is your heart this morning? Does your heart contemplate heaven? Does it calculate for heaven? Does heaven come into the equation at all? Or do you only think, or will only think of heaven until the day you die? Many have everything in this world, but they'll have nothing in heaven. Many have nothing in this world, but they have everything in heaven. The Savior said, For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. Do you possess the Savior? He is my everything. He is my all. I remember singing that as a youth in meetings for the young people. Christ being my everything. Christ being my all. Is that where our hearts lie this morning? Christ is everything. Christ is all. They had a divine treasure. And dear believer, we in the church have a divine treasure. And then thirdly, and finally, the church is assured of a glorious triumph. The church is assured of a glorious triumph. Notice in verse 10, And I will give thee a crown of life. The Savior is encouraging his people. Though there's hardship and difficulty, be faithful to the end. And this would have meant much to these individuals in Smyrna. Christ knew their suffering. Christ was with them. Christ was encouraging them to keep on to the end, not to fear. They didn't know what the future would hold. They didn't know who would be imprisoned, who would be tortured, who would be burnt. But Christ was encouraging them and he knew what would befall them. And these closing words are words of comfort. Be thou faithful unto the end, and I will give thee a crown of life. There's an exhortation for commitment in life. Be faithful. Keep pressing on. They were to keep loving and laboring and living for Christ. And when our trials and troubles come, that's exactly what we are to do. If we're discriminated against or we face troubles and hardships or persecution, we're to keep on going. Keep living for Christ. Keep loving Christ. Keep running that race for the Savior. Be thou faithful unto death. How far is the race we are running for Christ? It is unto death. Unto death. How far is that work that needs to be done? It's unto death. But let us keep pressing on, knowing the encouragement of God. The encouragement was a crown of life as well. Their faithfulness had not gone unnoticed. There was a crown, a reward. Christ is saying, I will give you that reward. I will give you that symbol of honor. If you press on, verse 11 tells us, he that overcometh shall not be heard of the second death. There are two deaths. There's a physical death. The first death is a gateway to heaven or a gateway to hell. The second death is eternity in hell. And those who are faithful to Christ will receive that crown of life and eternal life, not the second death. Oh, how encouraging this was for this church to keep pressing on. They were assured of a glorious triumph because of Christ. 
Today, are you assured of that glorious triumph because of Christ? Whether your life is filled with persecution or with blessings or with both, that you're committed to pressing on, that looking at the saints of old, looking at those who've gone before, the saints in Smyrna, that you'll press on and be encouraged because of their love for Christ and their desire to live for the Savior. Do you desire to know not the second death, but eternal life, that crown of life, to enter heaven wearing the victor's crown? And if so, then faithfulness must be the order of your heart. Faithfulness to Christ, trusting in him, living for him, serving him with all of your heart. We are built on the sure foundation, the foundation of Christ. Dear believer, may you know that. May you be encouraged by that. May you not live for this world, but live for Christ and glorify him in all things. May the Lord bless his word to our hearts this morning. Amen. Amen. Let us seek the Lord and let us pray. Our eternal God and our Father in heaven, we thank thee for thy word. We thank thee, Father, for this reminder of the church in Smyrna, a church that was persecuted, but a church that was blessed. Father, may we be blessed today as we consider them. If we face persecution in future days, may we not be ashamed of Christ. But Father, may we find our example here in this church who were faithful and that the Savior's eye was upon them. We rejoice that your eye is upon us. We rejoice, O God, that thou knowest us, thou knowest our ways, thou knowest our paths. And we pray that thou would keep us and protect us, have thy hand upon us for good. Father, bless us, we pray. We ask for Christ's sake. Amen. Amen. We're going to turn, before we close, to the hymn 664. 664, I have a Savior, he's pleading in glory, a dear loving Savior, though earth, friends, be few. 664, we'll sing verse 1 and verse 4. Verse 1, verse 4, and we stand to sing, please. 664, verses 1 and 4, only please.
Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank thee for our time here. We pray thou would take us to our homes in safety. Be with us this afternoon. Bring us again to thy house. And may we glorify thee throughout this day and throughout this week. And may the love of God, our Father, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship and communion of God the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen.